group of clergy was attending their conference in Scotland. Several of them set off to explore the district where they were meeting. They got so engrossed in the scenery that they didn't notice by a river that a bridge was unsafe, and they began to cross. At the time, there was a bridge keeper, and the bridge keeper ran after them to protest, and the spokesman of the group said, It's all right, not understanding, of course, the reason for the man's haste. We're Presbyterians from the conference. I'm no caring about that was the reply, but ye, if ye do not get off the bridge, you'll all be Baptists. <laughs> well, in our tradition, baptism is not an accident. 401 years ago, John Smith felt so strongly that one should be immersed when one decides to follow Christ, that lacking a clergyman to do it, he baptized himself. That was how we got started. Now, there's more to being Baptist than that, but the messy and meaningful ritual of immersion continues. But we find in John, we find John in Luke's Gospel practicing baptism. It wasn't unheard of in that day. In the first chapter, then, of his narrative, Luke has already introduced us to two key characters from today's passage, John and the Holy Spirit. We meet them at the same time in the first chapter of Luke when an angel of the Lord announces John's coming to his father, Zechariah, and then he says to Zechariah, even before his birth, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. We've jumped forward three decades now, and John and the Holy Spirit remain intimate. John has followed the Spirit's direction, preaching and baptizing and preparing the way for Jesus. And I like John. Um, One of the things I like about him is you can tell he was not on a power trip because the people, the crowd, had all these expectations. They had all these questions about John, thinking maybe he was the Messiah. But he's quick to deflect that. He's, you know, some people wouldn't do that. (laughs) You probably know some people like that. Oh, you think I'm the Messiah? Maybe I am. But no, this John didn't have this Messiah complex. He um, he he points to the Messiah. Doesn't take it on himself. And then, interestingly. Jesus doesn't take on that top position immediately either. Because you think about the people who were in line to be baptized by John in the Jordan River. And the way Luke writes it is, and when Jesus also was baptized. So it sounds like it's all these people going first. And then here comes Jesus kind of at the back of the line And that's kind of comforting to me to think that Jesus sort of put himself on the same level as me. You know, with all my mistakes and all my shortcomings and all the times I have failed God, that still Jesus is right there with me in line to be baptized. I like that image. And that's when the heaven was opened. Now, what does that look like? We don't know. Maybe a break in the clouds. 
So the rays of the sun shine down, and then there are the angel voices. Ah! Then something that looks like a dove descends and alights on Jesus, and a voice from heaven is heard saying to this man, You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. Last Sunday was Epiphany Sunday, but this is pretty epiphanical too, if that's a word. Don't we wish we could experience something like that? For months we've been seeing the advertisements for walking with dinosaurs that's taking place at the Civic Center this weekend. And it carries the, the participant, really, into their imaginations about what it would be like if they were to encounter a brachiosaurus that was as tall as this ceiling, or a Tyrannosaurus rex, these full-scale models. Um, William Hendricks tells of a splendid moment in the movie Jurassic Park when world-class paleontologist Alan Grant, who has devoted his life to the study of dinosaurs, suddenly comes face-to-face with real, live, prehistoric creatures. And he falls to the ground, dumbstruck, Now, the reason is obvious. It's one thing to piece together an informed but nonetheless imperfect image of dinosaurs by picking through fossils and bones. But to encounter an actual dinosaur, well, there can be no comparison. Now, think about that in relation to the Holy Spirit. We read about the coming of the Spirit to Zechariah, and to Mary, and at Jesus' baptism, we find, about, find out more about the Spirit throughout the book of Acts. But when we actually have an encounter with the Spirit and that power of God's Spirit, it can be life-altering. Ivan Seidenberg got his first job as janitor of an office building in Manhattan. The building superintendent was an older man named Mike, and Mike said little, but he watched everything very carefully. One night, he asked about a book that Ivan was reading, and Ivan explained that he was putting himself through college at night. Mike said, okay, walked away. Four months later, he came up to Ivan again, and he remarked, you know, there are companies that will help you pay for school. Ivan asked which ones, and Mike told him about the electric and phone companies continuing education programs for their employees. And so Ivan heard that, and he filled out some applications and took employment tests, and he heard back first from the telephone company, and so he took a job as a splicer's helper. And so after that, except for 22 months in the Army, he worked at 9X for many years, which eventually became Verizon Communications, where he is now CEO. So translate this to the spiritual realm, where someone, the Holy Spirit, is watching us and offers guidance on a good path. When we follow that guidance, we end up successful. So paying attention 
making space to pay attention to the Spirit is imperative for us as followers of Jesus Christ. Notice that when Luke tells us that um, the dove descended on Jesus, the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus, it was when he was praying. When he was praying. If we want the Holy Spirit to be a part of our lives and to direct us as a congregation, we have to pray. We have to pray. We have to act. We have to listen. Let me reverse that. We have to pray. We have to listen. And then we have to act. In his latest book called Have a Little Faith, Mitch Album tells a story about Henry Covington who accepted Jesus for the first time when he was 10 years old. He was from Brooklyn, and he found out about this Bible camp in Beaverkill, New York, and so every summer for two weeks he would get away from all the traffic in Brooklyn and um, go to camp and hunt frogs and play in the creek and that kind of thing. Well, Album tells Covington's story, who remembers a 17-year-old girl when he was 10. He could remember what she was wearing. He could remember her ponytail. He obviously made a great impression on, on him. And the girl asked him, one of the counselors, I guess, said, you know, would you like to pray? And he said, yes. <laughs> and so they went outside. And so she started asking him all the quote-unquote right questions, like, did he want Jesus to be his Savior? Yes. Was he confessing his sins? Yes. And did he want Jesus to take away his sins? Yes. And so she prayed with and for Henry. And then Album says the next day, Henry's friend got a BB gun, and they took it out and tried to shoot and kill frogs. Now, do you see a disconnect in that somewhere? Now, I don't know. We may have some frog hunters in the congregation. But there is for me, and I think there was for Mitch Album, otherwise he wouldn't have included that part of the story, that sometimes you know, we say the right things and we do the right things, and yet we don't act like the Holy Spirit is a part of who we are. We don't live. We go out and shoot things and trying to, instead of trying to make peace, instead of trying to care for others. The Holy Spirit is within us, working and attempting to guide us. Do we recognize it? Charles Swindoll said, even though every believer has the Holy Spirit, it is possible to operate our lives apart from his control. Here's the Acts passage again, part of it. And when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John. The two went down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for as yet the Spirit had not come upon any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then Peter and John laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. What's going on? 
The people of Samaria had come to understand about God and Jesus from Philip, the evangelist, and had been baptized in water. Were they, like Album's friend Henry Covington, not realizing that accepting Jesus, that being baptized carries with it the responsibility to adhere to Jesus like glue? Or had they not spoken in tongues, as some think is a necessary sign of the Spirit's presence? Or had Philip skipped over that bullet point when he was telling them about the gifts of salvation? Mainline churches today may be guilty of that. And so we're going to spend the rest of this month, or this rest of this month of Sundays, focusing on the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is too major of a gift and a resource from God not to use. Not our local Ralph Smith, but another Ralph Smith said, Your life apart from the filling of the Holy Spirit may be spectacular, but it will never be miraculous. And maybe it, it would have helped to read a little bit more from the 8th chapter of Acts, but there had been some miracles happening. And there had also been a magician at the same time. And they were trying to do the same things. But then this magician comes to understand that it's not about illusion. It's about a power. But it's a power deeper than any he had ever experienced. And so he found that he wanted to be baptized as well. Your life apart from the filling of the Holy Spirit may be spectacular, but it will never be miraculous. We'll look more intently in the coming weeks at how the Holy Spirit brings us life and hope. We're reading at our house right now, we've started the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. And in the first book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the four Pevensey children are told, they, they get through the wardrobe into Narnia, and they're, they're met by the beavers, and Mr. Beaver says, Aslan is on the move. And the children all have different feelings about what this means. Fear, excitement, joy. They don't even know who Aslan is, but Aslan is on the move. So when I say to you, the Holy Spirit is on the move, how do you feel? Intimidated? Scared? Excited? Are you ready, like the Samaritans, to embrace the Spirit and see where that leads us? I think we're in for an adventure together when we do. And so let us, like the people gathered with John at the river, be filled with expectation and excitement about what it means when the Holy Spirit descends on us, baptizes us, what can that mean for you as a person, for Calvary as a congregation, for the city of Roanoke, and for the whole world if we really take seriously the presence and guidance of the Holy Spirit? Let's pray for that. 
Lord our God, you have not created us and left us alone, but you have given us flesh and blood in Jesus Christ to understand what is righteousness and what is justice and what is peace. And you have given us his spirit to remind us of the things that he has taught us and to show us new things as well. O Lord our God, as we seek to understand you and to fulfill your callings for our lives, we pray that you would baptize us with your Holy Spirit and guide us then into the joy and the excitement and the newness of life that that brings. We pray in the name of Jesus our Christ. Amen.